You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, episode number 57. What you should know about risk-based monitoring, an interview with Tim Rolfe. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen and enhance your efficiency. If you're not already doing it, follow me on LinkedIn to get much further updates on all kind of different things related around becoming an effective statistician. Today we are speaking with Tim Rolfe. He's an expert on risk-based monitoring and also pretty passionate about it. So we will learn a lot about the increasing important role of risk-based monitoring in clinical development. And of course, we will talk about also this being a career option for statisticians. Finally, we will give you an insight what you need to know as a study statistician about risk-based monitoring. So stay tuned for this one. This podcast is created in association with PSI, as always, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the special interest groups, the video-on-demand content library, very good actually, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. And you get that for just £20 for non-high-income countries and only £95 for high-income countries. If you wonder what the pound is, that's about the same as for dollars or euros. Just visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is um, the podcast, The Effective Statistician. Here, this is Benjamin Pieske speaking, and I'm here today with Alexander. Hi, Benjamin. How are you doing? And Tim Rolf. Hi, Hi Tim. everyone. Um, Tim, well, I mean, probably I just ask you to introduce yourself, please. <laughs> Maybe we have, a, we have a nice topic today, but I think the easiest to really um, to uh, get into this topic is if we, um, if Tim is introducing himself, please. Sure. So, hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Tim Rolf. I am a statistician by training, but I'm currently working as a as director of, of uh, risk-based monitoring and centralized monitoring uh, at GSK. Uh, I've been a statistician at GSK for just over 20 years now, uh, and over those years, I, I've had a, you know, a quite a broad range of experience uh, through drug development, and, and I found that RBM has been my my most recent uh, challenge. Okay, awesome. Um, but you also have a have another role, and that is at uh, PSI that you're uh, working on. Um, What's your role there and what do you do there? So I'm currently membership secretary at BSI, uh, PSI. So I sit on the board of directors uh, and my responsibility is to, to, to go through and try and ensure that we have year-to-year -year membership growth, uh, reaching out to, to term PSI uh, into the leading global uh, membership organization for statisticians and data scientists working in the pharmaceutical industry. And 
how do you want to achieve that? So um, our main goals are to to show the value that PSI has to offer. You know, I've been involved in PSI for for a number of years, and it, it, it's it's a, a great society to support uh, statisticians and also you know anybody really working with with, with data within the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, we you know. It's there. We have a, a, a huge range of, of scientific content supporting any anybody that's doing data analysis, uh, and and really the the growth is there to as we're transitioning the strategy from being very kind of day focused courses to to webinars uh, and and you know outreach content uh, that's available you know across the globe. Uh, so you know, we ha- I think we have a, a, a huge amount of, of materials that we've already developed uh, as we've kind of strengthened our position across Europe. Uh, but you know, with with the web technology, uh, you know, we can make that a- available uh, via kind of uh, electronic e-learning type type materials. Uh, so it doesn't matter where you sit within the world. Uh, you know, if you're interested in in learning more about the analysis of pharmaceutical data. Uh, then you know we we hope that the PSI is kind of uh, the 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 society that you would join to to really support your development. And how could you join PSI? How does it work? So so yeah, in terms of the membership, uh, PSI we we have our website uh, which is psiweb.org, uh, and there's a, a nice join here button on on that. Uh, membership it's an annual membership uh, which comes in at a, I think it's a, a very reasonable rate uh, for those who are employed within the industry. Uh, for those who are students uh, or, or academics, uh, we can support them too uh, as they develop their skills. Uh, we offer free membership to, to full-time students uh, and also to, to teachers. So, so those that, that are teaching younger, uh, you know, mathematic-type students uh, who, are, who may have an interest in, in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, so we offer free membership to, to to those, so that again they can learn about the industry and, and what it offers to, to 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 younger students as they as they're trying to figure out what their careers may be uh, as they go through, you know decide what what university courses they're likely to be doing. Uh, we also offer reduced break membership for uh, anybody that, that that's living and working in in uh, you know lower cost. Uh, countries, uh, and we map that to to the the, the World Economic Forum criteria. So uh, they they have a long list of of what they call their high income countries. Uh, and if you're not in that list, then then you're you're uh, eligible for a low rate, which comes in uh, around twenty twenty pounds uh, UK. Uh, and obviously that that translates. But we think you know actually with all the materials that we've got to offer uh, with the membership. Uh, it gains you access to to the to the uh, the pharmaceutical statistics journal uh, and and as I say, all of our online content plus webinars. Uh, so so we think that actually it's a very good value investment. Awesome, very good. Sounds, sounds very good. Yeah, and just just one last question regarding PSI. So when when you say you you're aiming for like a world leadership in uh, in the in the statistical community, let's say, so what what does it different? Uh, what does PSI differentiate then from others? So kind of a, as a competitive thinking. So I think 
it's it's our very specialist because we are purely pharmaceutical industry focused uh, and we support you know and anybody who's who's doing data analysis within the pharma industry uh, and it's that laser focus on on kind of the the industry topics that really makes us special uh if you look at, at the us there's there's kind of there's the the DS, uh, dia or there's a uh the asa biopharm uh but you know the the, the biopharm unit is, is one part of asa which is a much larger uh, organization with you know a br- broader focus so so really i think you know that that is our, our our key feature is you know everybody that's involved within psi uh is is you know dedicated to the support of development of uh you know medicines uh within the pharmaceutical healthcare industries yeah and i think the other point is um it's highly organized it has a very, very efficient way of uh, delivering um, content. Um, we, there's a very, very good back office that helps all the volunteers to actually focus on the content stuff and uh, take away lots of the logistics and organizational work, which makes it a lot of fun to work within PSI as, as, a, uh, as a member and contribute. So that's that's my personal experience with PSI and why I got more and more involved in into PSI. Okay, but but now uh, let's stop talking about PSI and let's start talking about the topic of today, which is uh, RBM um, as a short form for risk-based monitoring. So how I my under, current understanding uh, of risk-based monitoring, and then please correct me in that and expand on that, is that you basically, um, we have moved away from kind of um, monitoring every kind of single data piece within a clinical uh, trial and checking everything uh, against source data um, to looking into, okay, what are the um, data points that have the biggest impact and where are the sites that maybe struggle the most um, and uh, focus monitoring in that regard and by that reduce the overall monitoring costs for clinical trial dramatically um, by still having a good kind of overall quality. Um, so basically, cutting out all the monitoring on, on, you know, low risk, good quality kind of part and more focusing it towards the, the, uh, yeah, the risky areas that have a big impact. Um, is that kind of a overall good description of, of risk-based monitoring or how is that completely? Yeah. Wrong? So, so I, the way, the way that I look at, at, at risk-based monitoring is actually, it, it, it's fundamentally, it's, it's, it's quality management. Uh, and that's how it got laid out uh, within the, the updates to the ICH GCP guidance, which actually sits as part of their quality management framework. Uh, really, I think you summarized it nicely in terms of the way I think about it is that our, our monitoring resource is incredibly expensive. Uh, sending people, you know, around the world to visit the sites uh, is very costly. Uh, and and really, what we're trying to do with with RBM is be efficient as, as as we can be in terms of targeting the areas of of highest risk. Uh, I, you know, so 
actually, I, I see it as quite a quite a, uh, an end to end process. It, it, it starts when you know when the protocols are being developed. Uh, you know, thinking through you know what are the risks associated with with the protocol that we're designing, uh, and usually. Uh, from my from my experience, whenever we've done early risk assessments, sort of if we were looking at this five years ago, all the risks would be focused on, you know, what what are the risks that we're not going to meet our recruitment milestones? What are the risks that we're not going to get the data in in time and we're not going to, you know, and it's always been milestone driven. What are the risks that we're not going to deliver? Uh, whereas actually, RBM is focusing on the what are the risks within within the data that we're capturing. Let's make sure that we have the best possible quality data for the data that really matters. Uh, and obviously, you know, the ultimate risk that we're trying to manage uh, is when that data gets to be reviewed by by you know regulatory agencies, the FDA, etc. That uh, actually they don't start finding you know holes within the data that lead to, you know, worst case, a rejection of a file because, you know, they they, they, they inherently uh, don't trust the data that, that's being presented to them. Uh, so the way that RBM works is, you know, it starts off with that risk assessment. Uh, and, and, and really that should, I, my, my belief is that that should be done very early stages when you're starting to talk about the concepts of your protocol uh, identify you know it's not just what's the primary endpoint but you know it's what's the patient population that we're after uh, obviously you know if, if if you design a protocol uh, with with you know loosely defined inclusion exclusion criteria what's the risk well if we if we enroll a patient that doesn't have the disease of interest, well, that patient's unlikely to benefit from from you know any treatment we give them, uh, but there's ov- obviously going to be the risks of side effects from giving somebody uh, you know an investigational product. So so you know it sits there around ar- around you know making sure that we've got the right population that we study within our trials. Once you get once you get through that piece, you know making sure that that you know we, we're getting. Uh, accurate and reliable data within our trials. Now, historically, uh, that you know, we 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 looked at the accuracy by getting our CRAs to 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 go to site and do a hundred percent source data verification. Uh, I.e., they do a hundred percent check of you know what has been written in the source notes. Does that match what we've got in 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 our case report forms? Uh, and we and 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 we'd say okay by doing those hundred percent checks, we're getting accurate and reliable data. But actually, across the industry, we know that that wasn't true. We'd still get audit findings when when, when our own internal uh, quality assurance groups or when you know external agencies, EMEA, uh, FDA, PMDA, et cetera, go out and audit the sites. We know that there's still issues at sites. So we've got ourselves hung up on spending you know, vast amounts of money uh, and you know some of the some of the findings that that uh, the Transcelerate group and I make I'll come on and talk about those a little bit more later, but they did some research in, into the impact that SDV was having on data quality, and they estimated actually we were spending around a third of the study budget on monitoring costs. Well, if you think about kind of the how, how much studies costs, that is a huge amount. It, it is so so. Mm-hmm. If you think about, you know, a couple of these phase studies, uh, phase three studies cost, um, you know, Hun- hundreds uh, of millions, yeah. 
hundreds of millions and and you know that way you can you know with with just implementing this quality approach you can spend you know uh you can save uh, hundreds of millions of uh of now, dollars now i need to be I, I i'm always a little bit cautious when i'm talking to 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 my colleagues about the money savings because when when i when it, when rbm first came out there was this really big thing of the we're good you know you're just going to do less monitoring and actually for, for some trials, yes, that's probably going to be the case. But in other trials, you, you know, you, you get the, but why is our monitoring gone up? Well, it's because actually we're identifying more risk. Uh, and therefore, you know, the, the way that I try and do it is actually what we're trying to do is stop the escalating costs of monitoring. You know, we got to a point where it's crazily expensive, but it's increasing incrementally. And we want to stop that. So actually, you know, some trials are going to cost more because if if you're finding problems and you have a lot of, a, 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 you know, a lots of issues at a lot of sites, then actually you're going to send your monitors out more because those sites need some handholding. And I see, I see it as that. What we're doing is we're analyzing the data in stream and then we're sending our staff out to support those sites that may be struggling to understand the protocol or maybe struggling to get the right patients or you know maybe they've misunderstood something and they 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 just need some additional training but by by sending out our monitoring organization to the sites that need it then you know that's how we we increase our quality and we minimize that risk of having a a, a final data package uh, that goes to submission that then gets scrutinized uh, and gets devalued because you know uh, they they find quality issues within it and that is of course also a pretty big cost saving you know if you if you would need to rerun a study because you failed on the quality side that's yes, a huge so cost thing in in terms of the study itself but only a potential yeah, it's a potential cost yeah. That's yeah only a potential and, cost and you know there, yeah. there are very high profile cases out there where you know studies have been discounted from quality uh and you know it fails to get a drug approved now if you don't get the drug to market on your on your first pass and then you you know you, you get into that 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 you know cycle of you know resubmitting data reanalyzing uh, you know, worst case, you have to run a whole a whole new study to replicate the findings. Then, you, you know, as you say, not only is it the cost of the additional resource and work, but it's it's the loss of income from from you know time on market. So so you know, there's huge implications there around getting the highest quality data package that we can to support our drugs. I I I see it as you know, we focus vast amounts on getting it to market quicker. But if we do that at the expense of quality, then actually that may be, you know, a, a, a false, a, a false positive. Because you know, if you get there and then you you lose all this time uh, during the review cycles, then you know we've not actually gained anything. So we we already mentioned that this is obviously playing a big role and a lot of advantages either and cost savings or potential cost savings uh, for phase three studies. What but are there other other studies where risk based monitoring plays a plays a role like this? Sure. Now now this this is one that that, that kind of gets contentious because the, 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 there's a there's a lot of different thoughts in there whether you know should we be doing risk-based monitoring on, on on early studies or or is it something that own that that's only really suitable for for, for later phase larger trials now the I, and i think it falls into a couple of areas my personal belief is i think that we should be taking a risk-based approach to all of our trials 
So, you know, identifying what are the critical data, what are the critical processes, you know, how is the data that, that we're capturing created? Make sure that that is, you know, especially for the critical stuff, the stuff that, that, that you know, is going to uh, lead to approval, you know, so core primary endpoint, uh, making sure that we don't have, you know, excessive amounts of missing data. Uh, patient population, making sure we don't have excessive amounts of, of protocol deviations, safety data, make sure that our safety data is being captured accurately and reliably and, you know, the, the, there's no misreporting uh, or, or, or missing safety signals. You know, that worst possible case for, for us is to get a, get a drug approved and then later find out that actually we missed the safety signal. Uh, so, so in, in terms of getting those pieces together, you can, you know, start thinking about that at the beginning. So once you define what what's critical, focus in on that. Uh, I, I I always get into arguments with with, with my colleagues. You know, you, you, we have the we have our primary endpoint and our, and our core safety, and we'll then have some secondary endpoints. Well, but they're really important, and and, and, and we've got them in a hierarchy because we want to get them into our label. Okay, so yep, some of those are probably critical, and then we've got all these tertiary endpoints, but but they support it. Yeah, but they're tertiary endpoints. You know, why are we getting why are we getting our monitors going out and checking every single one of those? Does it really, really critical to the success or failure of a drug? No, it, it might help, but it's likely we're gonna fall back onto those if if you know our, our primary endpoint's not quite as, as robust as we would have liked it to have been. Uh, and it, so so let's make our primary endpoint robust and spend a little bit less time checking all of those. You know, there may be some really important con meds, but it's every single con med important. <laughs> yeah, and these can be very, very long lists in some some disease areas. Uh, and sure. you spend a whole load of mo money and looking into all kind of things that, you know, the physician put in, in there and being, it, mm -hmm. you know, things that are completely uninteresting. And, yeah. and to, to, to be honest, in terms of concomitant medications, I know a couple of important things, but sometimes these have even kind of special questionnaires or special forms to capture them uh, specifically. Yep. And, you know, all the other things, oh, my God, you know, it's... it's yeah. And 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 in term you know in terms of comments and also in, you know in terms of some some of the safety information that we capture, you know especially we we know how many cases of headache, how many cases of nausea are you going to get, especially in a large trial. When we're checking that, do we need to check every single line item for for you know every single data point? We capture vast amounts of data, but you know yeah. what's important? The important is they've had an event. When did it start? Did it resolve? Uh, do we need do we need to, to to check down every single minute detail for the comments? It's important, you know. If they, if they started taking a beta blocker, what's important about that? Well, they started taking a beta blocker. They, they for me, okay, that's important to know. Why did they start taking it? Do they have an AE that's associated with that? Uh, and, and 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 well, surely they must have. If they if if they suddenly started taking a beta blocker, you don't take those for fun. So. <laughs> let's check. Let, let, let's check the SDE, uh, the you know the the, the the AE, and if there's nothing there, that's a potential safety issue that we may have missed. Those are the important ones. Yeah. An SDV does not pick that up. If you think about it, SDV is that check to say, okay, it says that they've that, that they've started taking a beta blocker. I've got a beta blocker in my CRF. Check, tick that, and move on. That doesn't really address the quality. Uh, 
So the way that we that, that RBM has gone is to shift from that SDV to a concept called uh, source document review. Uh, and the SDR is a more holistic review of the data for quality. Uh, and it's taking that step back and saying, actually, you know, doing doing those those, those like for like checks really we know doesn't doesn't add value but it's that that check of does the data that I'm, that I'm seeing make sense you know so the they have started taking a beta blocker do they have that ae or an sae to go with it and if they don't you know that's an important quality issue in my mind so just speaking about quality you know um quality is of course you know i i see quality not as a kind of binary yes no kind of question i would see quality more as a kind of probably continuous uh, variable and so in order to you know measure quality how do you come up with kind of good um quality margins or something like this that you know defines where you you know invest more uh, into your monitoring or where you kind of uh, say that everything is kind of okay so yeah i think the the fda produced some guidance back in around 2013 so so a good five six years ago now uh and and one of my favorite quotes out of that is quality isn't defined by the absence of errors but the absence of errors that matter and I think that is the fundamental. And as statisticians, you know, we've, we, I think as, as a collective group, we've been guilty of the, well, this isn't right. We must correct it. Uh, and, and, and actually, well, what, what RBM framework is, is that we, we've acknowledged that this is right. We've looked at the risk that that carries. If it's an isolated data point that's wrong, then you know what what's the impact and leverage on our analysis and as statisticians we need to think about that it's probably low uh, and therefore single isolated incidents acknowledge that you've seen it you've performed a risk assessment of it and the the, the you know you've done uh, the appropriate mitigation that appropriate mitigation was okay we'll accept this it is an isolated error uh you know we 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 have our little error term at the end of all of our models uh, we can manage that. You know, we, we, we can statistically, we can manage out random error. The bit that's really important to us is the systematic error, you know, and that may be an entire site, you know, where, where a site has misunderstood the protocol. Uh, and therefore, you know, they, they, they miscalculated, especially with, you know, some of the more uh, complex rating scales that we use. Uh, you know, where, where they're, do, they're, they're having to do data manipulation, if they've miscalculated that and they do that across all of the patients, well, that entire site data may be biased. Or worst case, we may have to exclude it from our analysis. And so that impacts that, you know, our, our probability of success uh, or power, as we used to call it. You know, those are the things that are really important to us in, ter in, in terms of getting the quality right. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, changing that mindset from the we have to fix everything to the is it important? What's its impact? And, and actually acknowledge, document and move on. Yeah, I can I can imagine that the discussion around like what is important, what points, or you know, is is really depending on the on the the eyes that I look into this. So so the different stakeholders that are 
you know, giving inputs to a study or the design of, of this. So, because meaning, you know, what is important is, is for one is, uh, you know, it's safety for the other, it's effectiveness for the other, it's, you know, whatever. So, so you look at this from a technical point of view, but who else is involved in the, um, you know, as a statistician, I mean, you look into this as, you know, from technical point of view and looking into um, defining the risk um, and, and quantifying the risk and, and giving input there, monitoring it maybe, but who else is giving input as a stakeholder to the decisions of how uh, RBM is being performed during this? I think, you know, the, it, really the, the risk assessment, that fundamental foundation of, of the, the process has to be, you know, cross-functionally, it is the study team. Because you know you, you're going to need your 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 clinician, your, uh, your your medical monitor. You're going to need your safety physician. You know they're they're key to the you know what what does this really mean to the patient? Uh, you're going to need your, your your local country knowledge. You know some of the things that we're looking at. You know it may be that actually that you know that's just normal medical practice in our country. It may be a problem for the study as a whole. Uh, and therefore, actually, the, you know, the, the study team then need to sit and weigh up that risk and the impact of that uh, on the quality. You know, worst case, you may, you may, you know, it may be retrain that country to say, actually, this is what we need. We know that that's your local practice, but, you know, we, we need to change that. Uh, it may be protocol amendment or, or even worse, the impact for operations. It may be we're really sorry we can't use your country because that's not going to meet the the necessary requirements we need for for filing this drug in the other countries that we're that, that, that we're looking at in our other markets. So there's a lot of challenges there that you know, and it, and it really it does need that collective team input into in, into the risk assessment and and also the risk mitigation decisions. It doesn't sit with one role specifically, so so again, as you, as you say, uh, you know, the, the, as, as a statistician, we're, we're you know we're perfectly there to to assess the risk and quanti quantify and and you know the, the 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 logical thinking patterns that we have as statisticians is perfectly aligned to try and help the other members of the team to to you know to weigh that up. You know, we, we we've thought about risk uh, for for many years as part of our training. Uh, and and it, it, we do have to change the mindset. Uh, I found, especially in the early stages when I was working on RBM, that we, you know, we would be met with we, with the mindset of the, you know, yes, there's a risk, we have to fix it, uh, yeah. and, mo and moving people's mindset to the, oh, maybe we don't, maybe we can accept <laughs> this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Make it makes people very uncomfortable. Uh, and, and it's understandable because it's a huge shift in the in, in the way that that we have gone as a business. We have moved to be so conservative, uh, and and the regulators have played a part in that. You know, going going through adcoms where you know the data gets scrutinised down to, to the very minutest detail. Uh, I think it's had something to do with it. So it's been really reassuring that both the FDA and the EMEA. You know, have their guidance. They, you know, PMDA, I think, are also bought into the concepts of RBM, uh, but I'm not sure they have their specific guidance out yet. But you know, the, the the leading players within the regulatory industries have bought into this as a concept. You know, they agreed that scientific research was getting too expensive, uh, and actually, we'd gone too far. The pendulum was swung too far in one direction in terms of trying to try, trying to correct everything.
Uh, and so, you know, hopefully, you know, we're on a we're on a course correct for the industry where actually let's target on what's really important and get that right. So from my point of view as a statistician, if I think about it, there's a couple of key tables usually that uh, you make the decisions at the end on and that really drives the conclusion of your overall study. Mm -hmm. And these would be, and every data point that goes into these um, tables, these would be kind of my focus data points um, that I would look into and look into what's the risk associated with these. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, as, as you say, you know, uh, different companies do things in different ways, but, you know, we normally have that headline data package, the bit that, that every, every, you know, every instantly hones in on when, when, when we release the results. Uh, and, and as you say, you know, five, ten tables at most are the ones where, where you will make that, 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 you know, that initial assessment, you may then get into the, oh, and, and what's all the supportive, especially when, you know, if your results aren't as strong as you thought and you get into that gray area, then, you know, you'll fall back. But again, that fallback position, that data, you know, as long as it's aligned, but it doesn't have to be held to the same level of scrutiny uh, as, 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 you know, your, your, your key decision-making information for a go, any no-go decision. Yeah, but but it, it it sounds easier than it is. I mean, five to ten tables. I mean, just imagine like a rhesus criteria for oncology. Uh, what what data is behind that in in terms of just giving you know being presented in one of the key tables? So I think it's it's really there's a lot of I can imagine there's a lot of data behind it needs to be checked or or you know pointed to content of quality or risk um, in order to get these five to ten tables. Yeah, um, of course. You know, on a higher higher level of quality. Oh, of, of, yeah. yes, it certainly is, and you know, but but again, in thinking about the the concepts of you know, lot nowadays, lots of our endpoints are are, are taken from blood, blood samples. Now, what's important about that blood sample? Because actually, what is there for, for 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 to be checked in terms of quality? There's actually very little because the blood gets drawn, it gets stored, shipped analyzed and we get the data in-house the, the, there's no scope for, or very little scope for, for human error in that process where the human error may come in and this is where the, again SDV really falls down and we need to, to change that concept move over to, 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 to the to the SDR concept of you know what are the processes that are important with lab samples you know it's it's the that blood, blood draw you know make sure the samples be you know been taken. Once it's been taken, what, what's really important? It's got to be stored correctly. It's got to be packaged and shipped. The worst cases, you know, if, if they've shipped a, a, a series of samples in the wrong storage conditions, when it arrives to the lab, and you know, an entire block of patients, patient samples are, you know, non-analyzable because they've hemolyzed in, ship, in, in, in transport, you know, that, that's a vast amount of patient data uh, that's wasted. But in real terms, actually, that think about the patients. This, this is patients that have just sat there, had needles put in them, and um, and we, as as a research industry, have let them down because actually we've taken the bloods and they're of no use to anybody because we didn't handle that correctly. So you know, th those are the focus, the, the quality pieces that I think we really need to focus on. It's it's to do with how the data is generated, not just the data itself. 
So in terms of data, uh, let's um, move a little bit away from the, uh, let's say, core clinical data that lots of statisticians are used to work with uh, for their uh, analysis of the uh, medical questions. I think you work more personally with some metadata to assess risks, to, to look into quality and things like that. So what kind of data are you personally looking into as a, let's say, RBM statistician? Yeah, so so it, it, as you say, looking at quality, we, we you know there is a focus on the clinical data, but there's also a lot of looking at site performance. So looking at the operational characteristics to see whether you know does it does it look like the sites are struggling maybe uh, to, to 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 meet the demand of of the patients. You know, uh, we so a lot of metadata. I think the, the piece where it really comes into play. Uh, is looking at, at the potential for fraud detection. And this is where the statisticians really have, a, you know, a key role in doing that an, a, a analysis. And this is how I really first got an interest in, in monitoring. Uh, one of the very first studies that I worked on way back, uh, uh, you know, uh, when, I, when I first started postgrad, uh, had a site where we did the analysis at the end of the trial uh, and every single person on the active drug responded. Every single person on the placebo didn't respond, and that response rate was it was binary, uh, and it just looked so completely out of kilter with every you know every other site. The, 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 this this was in a in, in a, a neuroscience compound where we know placebo response rates are, are, are massive, uh, and therefore it just stuck out like a sore thumb. And so you know I, I then spent three months looking at the data. And analyzing it to try and see what's different about that site, because you know, worst case, we, we you know we we were kind of going, do we, does this concern us enough? Because we're going to have to send out the auditors to this site, and we want to know, you know, what else is wrong with this site. Turns out there was nothing wrong with that site. Uh, it, it you know it it, it 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 just happened to be that statistical random chance, yeah, that statistical <laughs> anomaly. Uh, but you know, but we got into really mining that data. Now, we did that retrospectively uh, because we found we found a problem when we came to the analysis. That's not logical. That's not sensible. You know, with back in back twenty years ago when we were doing that, well, the data was was paper, so it wasn't coming in real time. Uh, we you know, computing was much much slower. Nowadays, we've got so much computing power, and our data comes in almost real time that we can be doing this sort of thing in stream you know and, and 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 we can set the algorithms up and running it's not like you know it's much much simpler now uh to do these sort of checks in balance now we're not looking at the efficacy obviously we're not we don't want to do anything that that, that risks jeopardizing the, the blind to a trial uh, but you know there are other areas that we can look at sites that have abnormally high, you know, uh, reporting rates. Things like you know uh, if patients are using e diaries, looking to make sure that those e diaries uh, are are be, being filled out if they're filled out, you know, sequentially but too perfect. Uh, and and you know we, we we've seen cases the regulators use these kind of methods as well. To, to identify, you know, actually, you know, if the patient fills out their diary at seven o'clock every day, well, that might be uh, because they're very, very disciplined and they've set an alarm on their phone and that's what they do. Uh, but if every patient at a site does that, you know, no, that's 
starting to smell <laughs> a little bit fishy to me and I'd want to do a little bit more digging. And when you combine that with then, oh, and all their lab samples are all a little bit, you know, they don't have the same variability with respect to all the other sites. And, you know, these are things where, where you know, by combining multivariate analyses of the data, uh, and it, and it's more looking at the data patterns. It's not looking, you know, we're not trying to do do formal data analysis to try and look at any any efficacy response. All we're doing is looking at site to site variability for, for for a lot of what we do, uh, and identify those sites that are looking different. And by doing that in stream uh, and identifying the sites early that may be a little bit different. Then you know we can go out and and this is again talking about the quality. We can get our get our, our monitoring organisation out there to check to see whether you know is there a reason why that site is different. And then there may be very valid reasons. It may be a specialist centre, uh, whereas everybody else is, is is just general practice. Uh, you know, and, and and you do get these these niche research centres where you know you've got a very a, 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 a very homogeneous patient population. Uh, that come in, but better that we know that up front than than you know the hours that I spent having having put submissions in and the regulatory questions come in and you you know you suddenly they found something in the data that we weren't aware of because we'd not looked uh, and and you know as an industry I think we've got to move beyond that point of of being very reactionary to let's be proactive about our quality. You know that the, the, there are enough tools out there, and 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 since the introduction of the the, the ICH GC, uh, uh, GCP revision, you know there there are plenty of vendors out there that have developed very you know nice, clever, easy to use software packages that will start to look at this site to site risk. Uh, GSK we developed our own, uh, you know, and and, and others did. Uh, but you know that there, there, there are you know companies out there that provide solutions as well uh, to 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 really hone in on the which sites look different. Okay, if they're different, let's go out there because actually you know there's a risk that, that there may be problems uh, and, and we need to know about that upfront uh, rather than you know be caught out during the regulatory review. Yeah, so I think we talked a lot about kind of the benefits for the study statisticians. Um, because if you have good quality data, all the analysis becomes much easier and you have much less kind of headaches in terms of robustness and sensitivity analysis and all these kind of things. So as a statistician, uh, it's really important to, to have a good understanding of RBM. So um, where can people learn more about RBM? So I, I guess, as, as I mentioned already, you know, the, the, there's a series of, of RBM uh, guidance from both uh, FDA and EMEA and and uh, Section 5 of, of the ICHE 6 R2, the GCP guidance, uh, lays out that entire quality management framework. Uh, and you know, and it and it talks around the the, the concept of uh, statistical uh, analysis of the data in stream. Uh, so you know, the, the, those are the the very high level overviews of the kind of things that you need to consider. If you want to get into more detail, then uh, Transcelerate have published uh, that 
for those of you that, that aren't familiar, Transcelerator are a, a not-for-profit organization that uh, have set up, uh, it came out of the, 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 the Simplification of Clinical Trials Initiative uh, that, that was run with the, FD, uh, the FDA, EMEA and, and pharmaceutical sponsors. Uh, their, their work has looked... And actually, yeah, and we had actually an episode about that. Oh, brilliant. So if you just scroll back a little bit in your um, podcast app, you'll find an episode about uh, Transcelerate and, and some some hints for uh, statistics. I love what Transcelerate so, are trying, uh, have, have been doing to try and, and you know, standardize bits that, that we have to do as an industry. Uh, and, you know, we've been really guilty of, uh, you know, within the industry of we each develop our own solutions and they're all slightly different. Uh, and the more that we can standardize and be efficient, you know, if the, and, and you know, they do lots of things. RBM was one of the first because obviously the, 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 the costs of monitoring were, you know, vast. And, and, and therefore, when somebody says you can make huge savings in your monitoring and, and that's a third of your budget, then, you know, everybody sat, sat up and listened. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, sharing placebo data so that we can design more robust, you know, more informed trials. Uh, they're, they're looking at a, 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 an investigator uh, platform so that instead of, you know, they, they need to log on to the GSK portal or to the AZ portal or the Pfizer portal. And they're working on, you know, they're working with six different sponsors. So they've got six different portals and six different passwords. You know, let's have one standardized portal that they log in and they can see everybody's, but you know, so it's there to collaborate as an industry and they're, they're doing great things. But yeah, one of their first things, as I say, was was looking into RBM uh, and they, they, they've got a huge uh, set of, of, of support materials uh, all around the concepts of, you know, support for, you know, what, what, what is SDR and why it's important. And the, they did all the research and they published that online. So, so, you know, but it's all out there within, within the, the scientific literature, uh, as well as, as you know, you can see the, the highlights on the Transcelerate webpage. Uh, so yeah, if you, if you, yeah, and we'll add all these links to the show notes. So just go to the effective statistician.com and check out for this episode and then you'll see all the show notes. So very, very easy. And you can also just go sure. to your podcast player and go in the links there. So very, very easy to find there. Perfect. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Tim, for the very valuable and, and informative interview. And um, yeah, with that, have a nice day, everyone. Have a nice day. And listen and talk to you again next week on the next episode of The Effective Statistician. Bye. Bye. This show was created in association with PSI. Next week, we'll talk about a technical topic, the analysis of ordinal data. If you wonder what that is and how frequent it actually is and what you can do about it, keep listening. So, uh, looking forward to speak to you next time. Thanks for listening. And as always, please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes, further resources about this episode, and to learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. Ciao!